Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. I want to talk to you about from faith to faith. Or really, uh, the tagline on that would be, what do you need faith for? And this is kind of a theme for us as we enter into this new year together as a church family. And, and, and here's why, because over the last several months uh, in my life personally, since maybe uh, before September, God has been working on me, Heath Harris, about faith and trusting him. And I've even talked to our leadership team about the future of what our church might uh, be looking like and how faith is going to be a vital part of that. And I don't know exactly how those things might work out, but I know that there are glimpses of things that uh, for me to even trust God, I'm going to have to have a lot more faith. And maybe in your family, it's the same thing. Maybe today you don't know how your marriage is going to make it another year. You've got to have faith in God for that. Maybe it's finances or maybe it's overcoming some challenges or some obstacles in your life. Uh, but I've been asking myself the question, what do I need faith for. What do I need faith for? I know I have faith in Jesus to be saved from hell, but as I go through my life, what do I need faith for? What does my family need faith for? What does our church need faith for? Uh, because I think we get, we get saved and we get faith to have the, the, the salvation faith, right? I have f- saving faith. But then it's so easy for me to get settled into religion and forget to walk by faith. In Romans chapter 1, which is Hinting that the title here, Romans 1.17, says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And he goes on, Paul says, and the righteous man shall live by faith. And the New Living Translation says it this way. Basically, that the Christian life is from start to finish all about faith. It's all about trusting God. If I trust God for my salvation at the very beginning, that he's going to save my eternal soul from hell and damnation and forgive me of all of my sins and come and rescue me uh, on that last day and raise me up to new life and the last day, I have to believe that every step along the way from beginning to end has to be walked out by faith. Uh, I can think about the, you can think about Hebrews chapter 11 that faith was this thing that drew these old saints of God towards greater things. It's like this faith wasn't just in that initial word that God said, think about Abraham. It wasn't just this initial thing that God said, go, but every step along the way. The Bible says he went not knowing where he was going, that every day he woke up and had to trust God. Where am I going today, God? What, what do I have to do today? Which direction do I go? Israel in the wilderness, every day they got up. Where's the cloud? Where's the pillar of fire? Every day was walking by faith. It wasn't just the initial salvation. It was every step along this journey was faith. Everything is by faith. And it wasn't just this initial pers- uh, profession, one author says, but a lifestyle that sought after and pleased God. Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently, continually seek after him. That it wasn't, God is not interested in us just saying a salvation prayer and getting saved from hell. But he's interested in a people who are pleasing him as they're walking by faith. Somebody say amen. Amen. So faith not only saves us, but it shapes our life. I've been asking myself the question of, have I grown into a self-serving faith? Is faith now something that is for me instead of pleasing God? For these men, I look at these, this great hero's chapter, and 
I see people who are risking the impossible when it meant following God's word. And I wonder, he, have you been, what have you been risking for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It means standing on the word of God when others are shrinking back. And again, I ask myself the question, what do I need faith for? Think about that just for a second. What do you need faith for to get through this next year? To get through this next week, what, do you, what, do you, what, what faith do you have to have to get through it? For, for most of us, we could probably say, I don't know. Because I know that I can get up on my own, I can put my keys in the car, I can go to the grocery store, I can go to my job, I can come home, I can watch TV, I can do the dishes, and I can go to bed. I don't really need faith to do a normal life in America. Is that true? That's true. We don't really always think about it. And I think, well, Heath, what are you... If faith is this life that is pleasing God, it's risking things because it's trusting God's will, it's taking me into a place of unknown. I can remember trusting God the first few times in my life of speaking to a person and I didn't have a clue what I was going to say. But God said, go talk to that stranger about him. Or it meant leaving my family uh, in Missouri and coming here. Or it meant leaving my career path and the $30,000 a year college tuition that I had paid to change my whole degree and my whole major and that all that debt would be for naught and my career choice would change and how would I make any money and and all this stuff and trusting God by faith. But then then religion and day-to-day life happens and I think, well, Heath, what do you need faith for? Where's your life at right now and what could be the thing that you need faith for this year? James says it's like this muscle. That it grows strong with exercise. He says the testing of your faith is going to produce strength or endurance. So in every case, faith is this trusting God to do things with him beyond our ability. This year, you know, some of you guys might need faith to trust God through an illness. You might this year need faith to trust God through a loss or a financial crisis. Maybe you're going to have to have faith to trust God through a time of uncertainty. Some of us need to have faith to talk to that coworker or our strangers about Christ. Some of us need to have faith this year to volunteer in areas that's going to make you uncomfortable. That's a good place to be, uncomfortable. Some of us are going to have to have more faith than we've ever seen to go maybe on that missions trip, even though you don't have the finances, or maybe it's just to go into a new depth of your relationship with God. What do you need faith for? That's the only thing I want you to remember after today is what do you need faith for? All right, so I'm going to give you this setting, and this is a... talked to our leadership in November about faith in our meeting, and I, I talked to them a little bit over December about faith, and this story has stuck with me through, that le- through, through talking to our leadership, and just in my mind, I just can't get it out of my head, and I want to share it with you today, Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. It's Peter's story in Matthew 14, and let me give you the setting. What do you need faith for? Here's the setting. Jesus has just... Um, fed the 5,000 in a miraculous way that no one's ever seen done before since Israel saw the manna come down from heaven, right? Uh, and he's seen, he, he's, they've seen this, and he, and he sent the crowds away. He goes up to a mountain to pray, and he says, Disciples, go across the boat, get in the boat, go across the Sea of Galilee, which is about five to seven miles wide at whatever point you're at. Uh, and they begin to go out, and it's in the middle of the night, right? And so here's expert fishermen, and they begin to go out. Well, as they get about halfway across at 3 to 4 a.m. in the, in the night, uh, a storm blows across, coming against them. 
And it is everything they can do to just stay where they are. I'm talking the wind is whipping in their face. And this little boat, which is about maybe 30 foot long, is going up and down. And the, you know, that stinging sensation of the water and the wind is howling. And it is pitch black. And in fact, this is a picture that Beth and I took when we went on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and it was a cloudy day that day. And you can see you can't even see all the way across it, even though it's just five to seven miles. And think about it being in pitch black dark. Not knowing where you were going, not even though expert fishermen, they were stuck where they were. And the Bible says that Jesus was watching and praying for them. And in a moment, he began to go towards them. And as he began to go towards them, the Bible says that he thought about passing them. But they saw a glimpse of him. They cry out, it's a ghost. And then Jesus says, it's I, don't be afraid. That's where we are this morning in Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. Let's look at what happens next. So here they are trying to make it. And Peter says to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. What a great phrase. Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? This is a guy that jumped out of the boat, by the way. You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, this is key, you are certainly God's son, or you are the son of God. And John adds that immediately the boat was already at the, across the shore. That as soon as Jesus got in the boat, the winds, the waves stopped, and they ended up on the other side of the lake without even rowing. What a miracle! What a miracle. And they claimed that, that he was God's son. And I'm amazed. Think about this, though. I began to look through Matthew and Mark, and I was amazed at how many times Jesus told the people, oh, you of little faith, when they saw a miracle that no one had ever seen before. As if in my flesh, I want to say, well, why would I have ever thought that? I mean, who am I? That's never been done. You've not, no one's ever fed 5,000 people with some fish and loaves. Of course I'm going to have little faith. That's, isn't that kind of what the flesh wants to say? You look to God like, well, God, how would I have known? I mean, who would have thought that somebody would walk on the water? You know, how, who, who, how do you mean little faith? How, how can, I've never seen this before. I think sometimes in our, in our religious life, we often think, well, if I can understand it, then I'll believe it's God. Or if I can figure it out, or if maybe if I've seen it done before, what if God wants to do something in your life you've never seen before? Or that no one has ever seen before? Think about Joseph. No one had ever been told that you're going to have the Son of God as your child. He didn't have any background for that, but yet he believed it. And, and I think about, well, God, do I need to make sense of it? Maybe I need to hold on or control it. Maybe it's got to fit into my, my neat doctrine and my neat tradition. Oswald Chambers said, he says, if it's, he said, common sense is not faith, and faith is not common sense. In fact, Jesus Nothing Jesus ever said was common sense. And then, oh, you a little faith. Well, what hope is there, right? I mean, come on. Who would have ever thought? And come on, let's just be real this morning. I've never seen it done, God. How am I going to believe for it? I don't even know what you're talking about. How am I going to believe God's going to do something awesome in my family or our church or, or my personal life? I have no frame of reference for it. Oh, you have little faith. Can't you believe God for something you've never seen done ever? 
in your life or your personal life? Is it something that's not common sense? It was Oswald Chambers said, he says, one, common sense is natural, but faith is spiritual. One author says this, he says, faith's going to take your whole self, your mind, your heart, your body into a relationship with God that should express your full trust in him. I'm going to give you three things that Peter had to have that night. He had number one is this, faith to ask. Faith, what, do you, what do you need faith for? Number one, Peter had to have faith to ask. Can you imagine this? Think about it. The wind, the water stinging your face, you're rowing as hard as you can, but you are going nowhere. These are expert fishermen who lived on this lake, and they're not going anywhere at all. The wind is pushing against them. It's everything they can do just to stay where they are. The, I mean, seasickness is happening. Somebody's popping pills, and, you know, somebody's throwing up over the side, and we're all going to die, and somebody's like, we forgot the life jackets, and everybody else saying, well, where in the world is Jesus? Why in the world would he send us in the middle of this thing? He's up there on the mountain safe, and we're out here stuck in the water. Should we turn back? Should we go ahead? Somebody, should we call 911? What's going on? There's no Coast Guard here, right? I mean, here we are. And so, again, why is this going on? And here shows up Jesus. It wasn't long ago that he was the one that they woke up and he spoke to the storm and he said, peace, be still, and the storm was gone. Where's that dude at? He's not in the boat with us. But here he is, he shows up walking on the water. And again, in this moment, they're about to realize Jesus is still the calmer of the storm. He's still an ever-present help in a time of need. And he's even walking on the very thing that their fears are made of. Think about it. Jesus came walking in on the thing that terrorized them, that he was rising above all those things that was coming against them. That's the whole message in itself right there. And, and, and what's going on? His timing is perfect. But get this. Mark 6 says this. Jesus saw they were in serious trouble, rowing hard, struggling against the wind and the waves. Three o'clock in the morning, he comes towards them. Walking on the water, he intended to go past them. <laughs> he intended to just keep on strolling across. And they said, it's a ghost. They weren't even expecting him to come because who would expect him to come? They'd never seen him walk on. No one in the Bible had ever walked on water. No one ever seen it done. They'd seen it parted. Maybe they should have looked for that. They're looking for Moses to come walk across and the water to go back. They could have thought that was possible. That was a miracle. It's been done before. But here's Jesus coming, walking. Of course it's a ghost. What do you think it's going to be? You're not looking for Jesus. And here he is, right? And he intends to go past them. They freak out, number one. It's a ghost. And he says, peace, it's I. Don't fear, it's me. And that would have been enough miracle right there. But Peter sets the stage for something even greater. I wonder if Peter had not yelled out something, if Jesus would have just kept on going. If he would have just kept on walking by, he intended to pass them by. But Peter yells out, Lord, if it is you. Now think about this. I mean, it's dark. It's black. There are no lights. It's storming. I don't even know how you see anything. And, and the wind's tossing, and his boat's going like this, and other guys are roaring, and the, the other guy's like that, and everybody's crazy, and you're wet, you're soaking wet, your wind's blowing, and you're looking through, and you're saying, Lord, if it is you, you're going up and down, right? If it is you, tell me to come to you. Order me, command me to come to you, Matthew says, on the water. 
on the water. Who in the world was Peter to ask this? Who are you to walk on the water with Jesus? Moses didn't do it. Elijah didn't do it. The prophets didn't do it. Nobody's done it before. Who are you to ask? Jesus could have said, Peter, dude, you're not good enough. Peter, your faith's not big enough. Peter, you're not Moses. Come on, stay in the boat. You'll drown. But what did Jesus say? Come. Come. It's that simple childlike faith that Peter often got him in trouble, but he was saying, I just want to be where Jesus is. What about you and your life? Maybe that's an impossible thing that's against you. Maybe it's something that no one's ever seen done before. Maybe it's a unique situation in your life and you trying to talk to other people and nobody can, you know, you haven't had the same pains I've had. You never had the same hurts I've had. You don't know my past and my addictions. You don't know what my parents have said to me. You can't give me any advice on how to get through this and nobody else is helping you. And no one else can give you the solution. And all you can say is, Jesus I want to be where you are. And you know what he's going to say? Come. Come. He loves it when his children just beckon him closer. He's like, God, I don't know if it makes any sense. I don't know how to get there. Nobody else has done this before. We've never seen this before. But my main desire, I'm not looking at the wind, the waves. I'm not looking at the other guys in the boat. I'm just saying, Jesus, I want to be where you are. And he's going to say, come to me, my child. And that's what happens. Peter had faith to ask. He wasn't tempting Christ for a sign like the Pharisees. It was this affection. John, uh, 1 John 5 says, This is the confidence that you've got before Jesus for God, that if you would ask anything according to His will, He'll hear you. And He knows. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we've asked from Him. You know it's God's will that you be closer to Him. You know it's God's will that, that strongholds would break in our lives. You know it's God's will that people would be saved. You know it's God's will that you'd have peace and love and joy and patience and self-control. We know clearly in Scripture the will of God. And if we ask anything according to His will, we have it. you got to believe for it. And Peter was bold enough to ask the impossible. When's the last time you asked crazy God-centered prayers? God, I want to see all of my family saved. That's impossible. You have not because you ask not. I know they all have a choice. I know there's issues there. It may not even happen in your lifetime. It may happen at your funeral. People get saved. Who knows? But when's the last time you asked crazy God-centered prayers? I've never seen it done before. Ask for it. What's the worst that could happen? You might walk on water with Jesus. Crazy, God-centered prayers. God, I want to see all of Gina saved. What if Peter had not asked to come? I wonder if Jesus would have just passed them by until they all got desperate enough to cry out, Lord, Lord, save us. It was Peter, the first one, that said, Lord, Lord, save me. The other guys kept on rolling. Let's keep trying. Let's keep going. We can do this. Maybe we've got to turn around and go back. But Peter says, Lord, tell me to come closer to you. One author says, faith sees the invisible. 
believes the incredible and receives the impossible. It sees the invisible, it believes the incredible, it receives the impossible. And here's my prayer for 2019 at Gina, Louisiana. God, if it's your will for all of Gina to be saved, you might as well use us. Seriously, God, if, if it is your will, and I know it is, Lord, that you want to see all of this community saved, all of our families saved, then Lord, just use us. If nobody else, Lord, use us. And if he wants to use other people, great. But Lord, I want to be where you are. I don't care what other churches are doing. I don't care what other people are doing. I don't care what other pastors are doing. But Lord, we just want to be a people in me and my house who say, Lord, I want to be where Jesus is. Don't care how it is. I don't care what it is. Lord, just take us closer to you. And if it means jumping out of the boat, then so be it. If God wants, if you want to, God, if you want to see my family saved, you might as well use me. So if he had faith to ask, and then he had to have faith to walk. That's the, that's the incredible part. P- Peter not only had faith to ask, but he had faith to get out of the boat and start walking. And I, Warren Wiersbe says it this way. He's a great commentator. I love to read him uh, in his commentary. He says, anyone can sit in the boat and watch, but it takes a person of real faith to leave the boat. I can believe in doctrine, I can teach it, I can preach it, I can read it, I can read all these great truths in Scripture, but it's a whole nother deal to live it out. I can talk to you about self-control, it's a whole nother thing to have self-control. And I can talk to you all day about faith in the Bible, it's another thing to have faith and live it out. And so easy it is for us in the American church to talk, talk, talk. I've heard so many sermons, I've heard so many teachings, i listen to so many podcasts, but it's all for not if we're not living it out. I see some radical people in the scripture, and I want to be just like them, if even do more. The Bible says in the last days, he's going to pour out his spirit, and Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than even he did, that the church would rise up and see mighty moves of God. We can talk about it and read about it. I love history. I love reading about great of revivals and all that, but I want to see it. Why didn't the 11 jump out with Peter? Why didn't the 11 jump out? Peter had faith to walk, but why didn't the 11 jump out with Peter? You know, in that natural man, in that moment, man, in life, we try our hardest to live this thing out. I'm going to work hard. I'm rowing. I'm going to work hard to get my retirement. I'm going to work hard to raise my family. I'm going to work hard to get that job. I'm going to work hard to build that house. I'm going to do everything I can by my own strength. I've got my own bootstraps and going. And the natural man, he just keeps trying. And the storms of life, some of them are going to say, row harder. Other ones are going to say, you know what, this is too hard, quit that job, leave that marriage, turn around, try something else. They're going to go back the other direction. They're going to give up. And other people are going to say, you know what, uh, we, we need to put on a life jacket and just hope for the best. I don't know what's going to happen, we just start hoping for the best. Lord, if God wills us to die, then we die. If God wills us to be saved, then we save. They just give up everything of anything. And some people say it's time to abandon ship. We're done. This family's over. This, this job is finished. There's no hope. We just give up, and we're just going to die in the ocean. And, and that's the natural man. When he knows his limitations, it's sink or swim, but he, it's, 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 that's it. This is all as far as we can go. And some of you, maybe today, you've got as far as you can go in a marriage. You've got as far as you can go fighting addiction. You've got as far as you can go in your job or your career, or your finances, providing for your family. Maybe it's as far as you can go fighting that depression or that anxiety. And you're sitting there rolling, and it's everything you can do to stand still. And that's life sometimes. 
Everything you can do to stand, the wind's blowing, the waves are blowing, you're going up and down, and you're wondering, where in the world is God? I'm not stopping rowing. I'm keeping on rowing. This, this way of doing Christianity, I'm just going to sing more songs. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to go into that extra Sunday school class. I'm just going to do, 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 and do, and do, and I'm just going to keep on going. Baby, because this is what God says, just keep on rowing until he comes, right? And, and they're rowing, and they can't get anywhere. And here Peter is, and all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute. Where'd Peter go? The dude jumped out of the boat. He jumped out of the boat. Who does that? In a very real sense, Peter risked life and limb. He jumped into death. Jumped into death. Why? Peter gave up rowing. You know, religion doesn't work. It works into a point, and then it doesn't. You can try to break every habit. You can try to solve your marriage. You can try to be a better person. You can try to memorize all the scriptures. There's a point it's going to stop working. Because you're the one doing it. Peter gave up rowing. It was foolish. Somebody said, throw him a life jacket. Somebody probably tried to get him back in the boat. But then all of a sudden, people notice Peter's walking on the water. Peter's walking on the water. Why? Because Jesus said, come. You know, this Christian life is all about giving up your efforts and responding to Jesus by faith. Heath Harris cannot break any habit. He cannot fight any addiction. He cannot fight depression. He cannot have a better marriage. I can do everything I can do up until a point, but then I've got to let God do his work. Otherwise, this is a man-made religion. And if we're not having faith for something, it's just the natural flesh doing the work. And you're going to quickly get to a point where your church is only going to get so big, your, your life with God is only going to get so big, your family is only going to be so good, your marriage is only going to be so good, and then you've got to let go and let God. And say, God, you have to do this in my life. And just so he wouldn't get full of himself, just like we shouldn't either, God would humble Peter and think he, make sure he wasn't better than the 11. God would show Christ's power again, but he would show Peter's weakness. So Peter, here's what happens. They're in the boat. Oh, my gosh, Peter's drowning. Oh, my gosh, he's walking on water. Peter gets all the way. The Bible says he gets to Jesus. And I think he got to him, my, just as my Heath Harris interpreted, he got to Jesus, and he turned. Hey, guys. And he started looking around. I think he got all the way up to him. Because he was focused on him. I'm walking like a baby. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm walking and the wind's moving. I don't know if every step he took, the wind, you know, because the waves are going up and down. So is he doing this? I don't know. Was he just floating above it? I don't know. But he got, gets to Jesus and he turns and he looks back. This is my opinion. He turns and he looks back and he noticed, oh my gosh, look how far away I'm away from the boat. And he's thinking in the natural man, I need to remember what my swim teacher taught me about going, you know what I mean? I, I need to think, how am I going to do it? If this doesn't work, I need to have a plan B. And if we begin to do that, 
in the natural, man, we begin to turn and find this, okay, what am I going to do if this doesn't work out? I need a plan B. What's going to happen if I try this and it fails? And it's because Peter turned his eyes off of Jesus and turned his eyes back to the problem. And we know this. But it's like this. Sometimes you get so close to something, you lose perspective. You can't. I think about people who've been with God for many years in religion, and, and we, we've been with God, but yet we have no greater faith than we did when we first began. Because we've gotten so close to Jesus, we don't even see him anymore. And it's like that in a marriage. You know, in a marriage, you can be married for a long time, but unless sometimes you take a break and you take a step back and really appreciate that person, you can go through the motions. We're doing dishes, we're doing laundry, trying to get the kids, blah, 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 going to soccer practice, baseball practice, football practice, blah, blah, blah. And we're just trying to get by. You're with the person, you love them, but are you in love? Is that romantic affection still there? And what do you got to do? You got to go on a date night. You got to take a step back, and once she's there doing the dishes and her hair is a mess, you got to think, oh man, isn't she still so beautiful? You got come on, guys, you got to do those kind of things. Or, or ladies, you know, he's 20, 30 pounds heavier than he's ever been, but you know, he's still a handsome hunk, right? You know, he's sitting there snoring on the couch, and you're just thinking, man, I am so in love with that. You know, that's, you have to take those steps back, and you have to say, Look, I still appreciate the relationship that I have. I'm still in, in, I'm captivated by this man called Jesus. Even though I'm next to him, I'm still looking at him. You understand me this morning? We can get so caught up in doing church and going to church and being the church that we forget to be in love with the man that by faith we've walked on the water. Go, he saved us from death and hell and all the sins that were against us. And by faith, it's from faith and to faith. You began this journey with Christ on faith. You're going to end it on faith. And everything in between is still looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Peter lost perspective. You can never think you can do this Christian life by your own power or your own understanding. I told our leadership team in November, I said, if we're doing things on our own, by our own power, by our understanding, by our own finances, it's not faith. It's us. Same for our families. Same for the, how much I volunteer, how much I give, how much I, I'm invested into God and his kingdom. If I'm able to do it by my own power, my understanding, my own finances, if I'm not trusting God for something, do I have faith? Maybe you've made it so far in your marriage, but you're stuck. Maybe you've been fighting this addiction, but the shore is still far away. Maybe you've tried to live the good life, but you know that there's something more in this Christian life that you've not that experienced. And maybe you're scared to jump out of the boat. One author says this. He says, if you wait until you have perfect faith, you won't do much for God. It's okay to sink. It is. Jesus didn't rebuke him. He said, oh man, you have little faith. You made it all the way here. Then you turned and you forgot. He picked him up. And he took him, and immediately they were in the boat, and immediately they were on the shore. You see, jumping out of the boat with Jesus was the fast way to get on the shore. As soon as, he, as soon as he jumped out of the boat, he was with Jesus. Jesus took him back to the boat. And anybody who invites Jesus into the boat realizes, man, this is the quickest way through life's storms to get to the shore. Maybe today you haven't invited Jesus into the boat. Maybe you've been wondering where he's at. You wonder, what is going on with all of this? 
What is the point of all of this? I've been thinking about this is actually the most important thing to me about the whole story. What's the point of it all? Was it just a cool miracle that the 11 missed out on? Was it just for us in our entertainment today? Was it just for Peter that day to have a man, dude, I walked on water. No, you hadn't done that before, have you? You know, no. The Bible says that just a few weeks or days or months later, after those disciples saw this miracle, they cried out, surely you're the Son of God. They would go on down the road in more places and more places, and Jesus would say, who do you guys say that, who do these people say that the Son of Man is? And Peter would declare that day, he says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Peter knew because he walked on the water. The disciples now knew. He is who he says he is. He's the Son of God. It, it inspired their faith. The 11 were uplifted by faith because of what they saw happen. And then later on, Peter again testifies uh, boldly, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Peter because of this, the Spirit has revealed this to you, and it's by faith you know this. He says, and the gates of hell is not going to prevail against my church, and on you are Peter's small rock, and on this big rock, I'm going to build my church. Nothing is going to come against it. And what would happen from then, it would be a stepping stone of faith in Peter's life. I think he could look back to and remember the moments where I was with Jesus, and Jesus beckoned me come, because there was a moment, history tells us, years later, at the end of Peter's life, and this is only history, but it says that Peter was leaving Rome and that he saw Christ walking back towards Rome. And he asked Jesus, Jesus, where are you going? And he says, I'm going back to Rome to die again. And Peter again followed him back to Rome to be beheaded as a martyr. And I think about this, Peter would shake the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ, planting churches on unknown continents and, and traveling the known world, come against Jewish religion and, and the Pharisees and the religious elite. He would come against Roman authorities. He would write some of the gospels and lead uh, and write some of the epistles and lead the church into unknown places. And he would shake the gates of hell. But I wonder, what if he had not walked on water with God? What, what, it's like, Peter, how are you going to shake the gates of hell? How would, how would you make hell tremble if you can't trust me when I say, come, come with me, jump out of the boat, come be with me. Peter, do you want to long, do you long to be with me? It's because he saw Jesus as the son of God and faith means trusting Christ even to the death of self. And it's saving faith. It was not it wasn't just about Peter's profession. It wasn't just about the 11's profession. I think it's about your and my profession today. That Jesus knew in that moment it was for the saving of the world. You see, your faith is just not for you to be saved. That God has a plan through your life to see other people come to know Him. Think about it this way. Abraham, why did Abraham get called to go to a, a foreign country? Was it just so Abraham could have a bigger plot of land? No, it's so that God would create a people who would birth the Messiah. That his faith would launch a whole people called Israel that would bring Jesus Christ in the world. Moses, he, he's called out of being out of retirement, called out of being a shepherd, and he goes and sees a burning bush. Was it just so he could have some magic tricks for some snakes to come into a staff? Was it so he could just go get slap pharaohs around a little bit, say, ha, 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 here I am? It wasn't for Moses' self-profession, but it was so he could lead God's people to greener pastures and to the promises of God. Joseph, think about Joseph. 
Was Joseph having faith in the pit just for Joseph to be promoted to the highest ranking official in Egypt? No, it was so his family would be saved. Think about them all, each of these heroes of faith. Ruth, she took a risk leaving her homeland and serving Boaz. Was it, was it for herself or was it because God knew that later on she would be the grandmother of King David? Each step of faith in, Hall, in our Hebrews chapter 11 was a result that God would use that would result in thousands, even millions coming to Christ. Your faith is not just for you. Jumping out of the boat is not just for you. Trusting God for salvation, for healings, for miracles, for provision in your life is not just for you. We have to be careful not to have a self-serving faith that it's just about us. Because through your miracle and your leap of faith, your grandkids might say, oh my gosh, my grandfather, my grandmother trusted God when they had no other option, no all impossibilities, and I see in them something that I can hold on to. It might be this church two decades from now says that group of people in 2019 trusted God for the impossible, and that's the reason our town is in revival now. You don't know what God is calling us to that is not for us, it's for His glory. It's for His glory and for the saving of others. Our challenge today is this. Drop your oars and get closer to Jesus. Romans says, whatever is not of faith is a sin. What do you have faith for? Worship team, would you come? What do you have faith for? What are you believing God for? Maybe you've been doing things by your own efforts. You've been going to church by your own effort. You've been trying to get healing or, or, or mental clarity or, or relationships solved in your families, things to work out by your own efforts. You've been trying to fix it, fix yourself. But rowing will only get you so far. And then you've got to say, Jesus, I just want to be where you are. It doesn't matter if it's walking on the winds or the waves. I'm saying, Jesus, just beckon me to come to you. And of course, he's going to say, my child, come. And through that leap of faith, who knows the countless thousands that could be saved for generations to come. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Where are you at today? What do you need faith for in the coming months and weeks and years. What do you need faith for? For some of you, it's going to be taking a leap of faith to volunteer in your local church because right now you're not volunteering, you're not involved, you're just part of the crowd. But you're saying, I'm nervous, I don't know anything about kids, I don't know anything about youth, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable talking to people. Would you drop your oars and trust God? Maybe he's got gifts for you. I know that I could never teach. It wasn't until I accepted the position of being a small group leader that I ever realized I had a passion for it. it was, I took Pepto-Bismol. I prayed for an hour. I fasted. I wept. I prayed. I studied. I was so overwhelmed by ask, somebody asking me to teach in a church. No clue, no degree, no nothing. But it was stepping out and trusting Jesus. And today, here I am, believing God. God, I cannot do this. Maybe it's a mission trip. 
you've never been on, but you know that God's drawing you to be on one. Maybe it's, it's serving in your local church or serving in a community. Maybe it's that marriage or that relationship or that, that financial issue, and you say, God, I can't do this. I have to stop rowing. I've got to trust in you. The Christian life, if anything, is by faith. We give up, Lord, surrender to you, and say, God, lead us where you are. Lead us where you are.